What's up, everybody? My name is Aronson Smith, and welcome back to podcast. In this episode, I will be preaching a message entitled Awakening. In this sermon, I remind the audience that as a church, we are prone to fail. Yet although we may fail, we have a God that advocates for us. And so listen closely and enjoy. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for everything you're doing, everything you're about to do and what you're in. And and what you're doing in us, and we just ask that none of us would leave this building the same way that they came in. But we ask that you would touch every soul and every word I speak. May it touch heaven before it touches this audience, God. In Jesus' name and together, the church said, amen. Amen. Uh, Church, has anyone overslept this week? Just curious. Has anyone overslept this week? Listen, lately it's been rough for me. I think I might have overslept every single day of this week. It's been a tough week. And in my defense, I actually just just graduated from grad school in May. Yeah, yeah. And then in June, I started my first full-time 40-hour-a-week job as a chaplain at Riverside Hospital. So understand, when I first started, I was good. I was disciplined. I woke up in the morning. And before I, before I went to work, I would jog, I would spend time with God. But after a few months on the job, it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. And what's sad is the fact that I set my alarm. I set several alarms. My first alarm is set for 5.30. I set another one for 5.35. Another one for 540, 545, 550, 6 a.m., 6.10, 6.15, 6.16, 6.17. All the way up to 6.30 in the morning in church, I still tend to oversleep. And what's worse is the fact that I'm a chaplain. I understand. I'm working in an environment where people are hurting. People are in pain. And meanwhile, the chaplain... This brother's at home, caught up in his own life, caught up in his own comfort, sleeping. And I tell you that because how often as believers, how often as Christians do we get caught up in our own life, caught up in our own comfort, and we forget to love our neighbor? How often do we get caught up in our own ways of doing things? And we live in a world that needs us, and we're asleep. And so this morning, I'm going to preach a message entitled Awakening. Shout out to your youth pastor, Awakening Student Ministries. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 48. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 48. When you get there, just say, I got it. Okay. The Bible says Jesus went out as usual to the Mountain of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching this place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples, and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He appeared to kiss Jesus, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Allow me to paint a narrative picture. Basically, you have Jesus, and he just left the Last Supper. He decides to go to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he takes with him James, John, and Peter to pray. And so they're there, they're praying, and, and Jesus, Jesus looks over, and he notices that his disciples are not praying. They're actually asleep. Now, church, you must understand, this is one of the most important times in Christian history. In fact, it might be one of the most important times in human history. Jesus, God in the flesh, is about to be crucified. He's about to be betrayed by one of his own, and guess what? The church is asleep. Somebody say, wake up. The church was asleep. Now, this is not a popular opinion, but it's a historical fact. That history shows us that throughout time, it's not uncommon for God's people to fall asleep when they're most needed. History tells us that during the Holocaust, many of the German churches were actually silent. Not only that, but during slavery, many of our own churches in these United States were silent. Understand, my own theological heroes, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, leaders of the Great Awakening, people that I admire, both owned people while in ministry. They were asleep. Not only that, but during the civil rights movement, many of our churches were asleep. They were silent. Don't you see that Peter's decision to fall asleep, it started a trend in our culture. That when we're needed the most, we often take a step back. But I have a feeling that's, that's not, that's not going to be all of us. We're going to wake up. Why are we so prone to fall? Why are we so prone to fail the God that we serve? And one thing I find interesting about Luke chapter 22 is that it just wasn't any of the disciples falling asleep. It was Peter, James, and John. Why is that important? It's important because they were the leaders of the early church. We know that because Galatians 2 chapter, chap, chapter 2 verses 9, Paul describes them as the pillars of the church. So what does that tell us? Not only does this mean that we are prone to fail God, but our leaders are prone to fail God and to fall asleep. But yet, in spite of, we have probably been the most impactful people group this world has ever seen. What does that tell you? It tells you that we are not the ones making this thing called the kingdom of God work. Because in spite of our downfalls, we continue to produce fruit. In spite of our ignorance, we continue to create Christian universities that that produce Christian leaders to change the world every single year in spite of our tendency to be selfish and not care. The church has produced 
dozens of humanitarian foundations such as the Salvation Army, Alcoholics Anonymous, Red Cross, and Operation Blessing. In spite of our racial issues, God has used all of us to lead social change in spite of, I think it's safe to say that we serve a God who uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines in spite of. Church, understand it's not man keeping this thing called the church, our church, Victory Tabernacle afloat, but it's God. Understand we want to talk about the church and, and where we are in, as a church, but guess what? We've been worse and God has used us in spite of, so that we have a better understanding of Luke chapter 22 in the garden of Gethsemane. I think it's vital for us to understand what took place before Luke chapter 22. Just moments before the, the disciples were in the, in the garden asleep, they were at the Last Supper. And during the Last Supper, Jesus warns Peter. Jesus warns Peter and he says, look, Peter, you will fail. Not only will you fail, but you will deny me three times. Understand, just within a few hours, Jesus, excuse me, Peter denied Jesus and fell asleep on him in the garden. When, he, when, when they were at the Last Supper, Jesus gave Peter a promise in Luke chapter 2, just a few verses before our opening passage, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. He said, this is Jesus to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail when you have turned again, not if. But when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, he's saying, look, Peter, you will fail. You will stumble. But guess what? I've been praying for you. And your faith will not fail. And not if you turn back, but when you turn back. God had his hand on Peter the entire time. And I just want to come to Victory Tabernacle and let you know that God has his hands on you. No matter what ups and downs we may experience in our lives, God has not left us. Let's wake up. I also think, no wonder why Peter was so successful. If you think about all the disciples, this brother Peter, he got himself in trouble all the time. But no wonder why he was so, so successful, because he had an advocate. He had someone speaking on his behalf. He had someone helping him up when he fell. And my friend, I want to let you know that you have the same advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. So when you see one of God's children doing something good, remember they ain't do nothing. It was God advocating for them. If you ever see me on a big stage, remember I ain't deserve nothing. It's been God advocating for me. It's been God speaking on my behalf. God did it. Understand, we live in a country where... Everything you get, you work for it, in some cases. We live in a country where if, if one has a nice house, it's believed that they worked for it. If one has a nice car, it's, be, it's believed that they worked for it. And we've, in, we've allowed that part of our culture, which is good. I love working for what we get, but we've allowed that part of our culture to impact our theology, and that's not 
the gospel. The gospel is this. We could not get to God, so God had to come to us. We think it's us working for our salvation. We think it's us deserving God's grace. No, 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 no. That's why it's called grace. We ain't deserve nothing. And this thought that we earned our salvation just boggles my mind. Because when I check scripture, the Bible says that we were dead in our sin. But yet, the Bible also says that we have to be born again. So how can a dead person regenerate himself? Unless it's by the Spirit of God. My friend, it's been God's hand on you. The only reason why we're in this place to stand up and worship our God freely is because God's hand has been us. He called us out of the darkness. He called us out of the grave just like Lazarus. God did it. God did it. This time last year, this time last year, I was doing a lot of getting in God's way. I come from Terre Haute, single mom and single mothers. I had a single mom and only, only when my mom was in the house. And she was a worker. I was raised, if you want something, you got to go get it. And me being having, having a call on my life, I thought that I can use that in God's kingdom. So I began just, I said, I'm going to make this relationship. I'm going to politic here. I'm going to make this relationship and I'm going to network here. Listen, I, I'm not against playing our cards right and having some type of strategy. But there comes a time where we just have to let go and let God. Anyway, I, I was... I was trying to, trying to do this and trying to connect the dots here. And I just felt like God rebuked me and said, look, son, I don't need you. I don't need you for yoke my plans for you to take place. Eric, where were you on Calvary? Where were you in the foundations of the world? My son, I don't need you. Fall back. And so then I went to scripture and I began to notice that everything that when it comes to God's kingdom, it's about God. I started to realize that man has never really done anything but get in the way and mess things up. It's about God. And from the beginning of time, it's been about God connecting the dots and making his story come to pass. And often we try to make our lives about our story. No, 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 no. We are here for the glory of God alone. Every kid out of my way. So I began to open up scripture and I noticed that from the beginning of time, I mean, from the genesis of time, it's been Jesus connecting the dots for the good of his kingdom and the good of his people. And man has done nothing but mess it up. And so what I did was I just started going through scripture and I began to see Jesus working in every single book in the Bible. I noticed Jesus in Genesis. He was the seed that bruises the serpent's head. I said, okay, that's nice. So then I went to Exodus. He is the fire by night and the cloud by day. I kept reading. I saw Leviticus numbers that he is the high priest forever. In Deuteronomy, he is my refuge and my everlasting arms. I continue to see God connect the dots for the good of his kingdom and his people. In Joshua, I saw God again. He is the captain of the army of the Lord and judges. He is the judge and your deliverer. 
And Ruth, he is the perfect groom that gets the perfect bride. That's us, church. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he is the trusted prophet. In 1 and 2 Kings, he is the whirlwind of power. He is the chariots of fire. Then I went to 1 and 2 Chronicles and saw Jesus working again. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he is the Shekinah glory filling the temple of Solomon. Anyone want, anybody want to experience the Shekinah glory? And then I saw in Ezra and Nehemiah that he is the voice calling into a nation to rebuild the walls of the ancient holy city. So then I continued to see Jesus working in Esther. He is the one making intercession for the ones he loves so dearly in Job. He is that thing that called, that called, called Job to call out in his time of affliction. In Psalms, he is my favorite. He is my good shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the beginning of all wisdom. And in Song of Solomon, he is my lily in the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. I began to see God work in every book of the Bible. From the beginning of time, he's been connecting dots. Can I keep going? In Isaiah, he is the lamb wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. In Jeremiah, he is the voice calling to a youth, saying, before, I, before you were in your mama's womb, I knew thee. I ordained you and called you a prophet to the nations and lamentations. He is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wind that came from the four corners of the earth to revive the valley of dry bones. That's us again. In Daniel, he was the one in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Hosea, he is the loving and affectionate husband that redeems his bride. In Joel, he is the latter rain. In Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Hakum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. He is the last voice of the prophet that prepared the redemptive works since the foundations of the world. Church, God has been connecting the dots from the beginning of time. Is God in charge of this thing? Can we go to the New Testament? And then we step in the New Testament, I see Jesus again. The baby birthed from the Holy Spirit. In Mark, he is the healer of the blind. In Luke, he is my great physician. In John, he is the word made flesh dwelling among us. In Acts, he is the gift and the power of Pentecost. In Romans, he is the fulfillment of the law that is able to free me from my condemnation. He's able to free me from my guilt. It's all about him, church. In the letters called Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. He is the perfect doctrine of the church. In Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, he is the dedication of young men who consecrated themselves to a lifetime of service to Jesus Christ. In James, 1st, 2nd, Peter, 1st, and 2nd, and 3rd, John, and Jude, he is the greatest power in this universe. He is the power of love. And then in Revelations, in Revelation, he is the beginning he is the end. He is the first. He is the last. He's the alpha. He is the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He is Jesus, church. Is Jesus keeping this church going? Is Jesus that's going to keep us going? Is Jesus that put food on your belly? Is Jesus that woke you up this morning? Always only Jesus. It's not about us. Wake up, church. Wake up. We can create all the things we want to make a church grow or to be successful in our life. But what we need, we don't need a strategy, we just need a savior. And once we tap back into the savior and what the savior wants, can't no devil in hell stop what God has for Victory Tabernacle.
Let me try to wrap this all up and paint it all together. So, so on a Thursday night, excuse me, on a Thursday day, Jesus and his disciples, they're at the Last Supper. And Jesus tells Peter, he says, look, friend, you will mess up. You're prone to fall. You're prone to fail. You're going to oversleep. You're going to deny me three times. But Peter, I've, I've prayed for you. And again, your faith will not fail. And so then on that Friday morning, right after Peter denied, right after Peter sleeps on Jesus, he fails him. Peter denies Jesus three times. And we know the story, Jesus is eventually taken to Calvary and he's thrown on a cross for all of us. But then Sunday, the man got up. And then what's, what's interesting is, is the fact that if you fast forward to Acts chapter 2, right after Peter failed Jesus, right after he realized that he was not all that, right after Peter realized that he's prone to mess up, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible describes a beautiful picture of the upper room. It says that they were all on one accord, that they were all on one accord. Every single one of them, one accord. They shared everything. They, they were brothers and sisters. And then the Bible describes as a rushing wind entered the room. And tongues of fire laid upon all of them, all of them. And they all began to experience God in a new way. That's the sermon right there. You can get caught up on how we've been experiencing God, but God is saying, come over here. Let's take a step up. That, I can't go there right now. So they're all experiencing God, and, and, then, and then the haters come up, and they're like, um, are these brothers drunk? And they say, hey, what's going on with these people? And then Peter says, you know what? It's my time for redemption. Peter stands up, and he preaches a sermon and the Bible says that 3,000 people were added to the church on that day. And then people were added to them daily. Understand, so, so Peter went from being asleep to failing to leading a revival. My only conclusion is that Peter might have been asleep, but his faith was not dead. And I just want to encourage you that, that we might fall asleep, but you ain't dead, church. We might stumble, we might mess up, we might not have it all together, but Victory Tabernacle is not dead. The best is yet to come in our lives, and God ain't through with us yet.